Good evening, everyone. Thank you once again for joining me for Trad Queen Story Hour. This is one of our pre-recorded interviews. And tonight we have Kalen Dalmita, who has been on the border. He's been talking to all sorts of interesting people and has really unique takes. Kalen, how are you doing? What have you been up to? Lid, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure, as usual. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, this past week I've been in LA. And prior to that, I was at the border. But uh, in LA, I covered the RuPaul's DragCon 2023. And um, I think the reason we went to that initially was because we were going to try and confront RuPaul and sort of ask him like, hey, you know, you said that um, when Tennessee decided that they were going to ban certain um, procedures for minors. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's well, right. Yeah. Procedures, yeah. So right. there was two things. And mm -hmm. um, he goes, you know, I think it's an unimportant distraction. So I was going to ask him, like, well, what could be more important than protecting children from irreversible medical procedures or even uh, adult themed performances right. and activities? Right. Uh, my next question would have been, you know, you said uh, Marines are the LGBT or excuse me. Drag queens are the LGBTQ Marines, right? What? <laughs> and yeah, he goes, he goes, they're the Marines of the LGBTQ. And I wonder, you know, why does a protected class in the U.S. need Marines or someone mm. to fill a similar role? Um, and then on top of that, the event itself had Teletubby land, which was the kids zone. So people brought their kids, of course. Right. Um, not only that, they had, you know, this 13-year-old uh, drag queen who I guess goes by the name of Allie Mark Jacobs and totally, you know, they had the kids up on stage and uh, RuPaul's doing the DJing up on top of the, um, the big screen and stuff. So we didn't get to confront RuPaul. There, there was like a 1% chance that we would have been able to right. confront him. But, uh, you know, we, we turned it into an MOS. Let's talk to some of the attendees. And what do they think? Do they think that uh, there should be no drag kids? Obviously, they're not going to say that, but I wanted to get them talking. So, you know, as a scale of one to 10, how much do you love drag queens, basically? Um, and all of them were 10 and above. Uh, we got some huge numbers, like a million. Wow. Um, and... You know, I asked him, is it ever too early to start drag? A lot of people said, no, it's never too early to start drag. And they just call it dress up, um, even though it, there, there's a lot more than just dressing up. Right. We dress up on Halloween and that's that's been a very normal thing. Right. Um, for ages. But this is very different. Um, so, yeah, it it's exactly it went exactly the way that you thought it would go. Um, they love drag kids. So, yeah, yeah, that's not cool. So does it surprise you how fast this has advanced? Because I remember, so I, I'm sure you'll recall, Matt Walsh was fighting with Vanderbilt just a few months ago. Like, I want to say the end of last year, beginning of this year. And they were like, it looks like Vanderbilt is doing this procedure on children. And they were like, no, this isn't, this isn't happening at all. And then it was like, oh, actually it is. And not only is it happening, including at other places, it's good that it's happening and denying it is actually hurting these poor kids. So did it surprise you how quickly it went from not happening to happening and good that it is happening in your monster if you deny it to people? 
I think it, it does surprise me to a degree. Um, but I think the element of surprise with the agenda in this country is starting to fade. Um, we've seen so many things, not just this agenda, but many other agendas um, progress very rapidly. And, you know, there's over, there's easily over a hundred, you know, pediatric gender clinics in the U.S. who perform surgeries. I know there was a, a surgeon who I wanted to confront who is in Oregon. His name's mm. Blair Peters. Uh, he identifies as trans and he is biologically male, but he boasts about removing the breasts of you know, adolescent girls. And that's, uh, that's one of the things that he enjoys that he loves. And um, I've read some reviews about him. And people don't get follow up care. It's basically they take the money, they remove the breasts. And if you have any problems, you're going to have a really bad experience. Um, wow. So I, I, you know, I, am I surprised though? Is, is no, I'm not, I'm not surprised. The end goal here is them being able to attain basically what they want is for children to be adults. That's right. what they want. Right. That, that they want children to be adults so that children can consent to anything, which means if they're going to, I won't use the G word because of YouTube. Right. right? They're preparing but, them for this lifestyle in yeah, very exactly. sneaky fashion. Right. Exactly. So I've confronted a uh, professor at U of A. His name's Harris Kornstein. He's written a book called, he's a drag professor. And he's written a book called, he's written a couple children's books. One is called The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish, Swish, Swish. Right, yeah. And I forgot the, I forgot the name of the other one. But I confronted him and I asked him about his, his paper that I think he co-authored called Drag Pedagogy. And basically what it's about is capturing the minds of children because they are so impressionable. And he sort of uses the guise of drag and the 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 imaginations of children are so uh unbound you know because right. they're young uh and so he looks at that and them as a uh you know a way to propagate um the future in terms of you know more drag kids more lgbtq um and it's it's pretty it's pretty extreme um, right. So it is troubling. I will say that. And it is extreme. And it's, it's, I remember noticing this is a while ago. I thought, um, so if a girl has a drink or two, she cannot consent to any kind of adult activity. But at the same time, they're telling you that children are adults who can consent to anything, anything in a very similar fashion. And I was like, this is so upside down. Everything about this feels exactly backwards. So adults can't consent, right? But actual children whose brains are not fully developed, they've told us that kids can be trans before they're born, which blows my mind because these are the people who will tell you those are clumps of cells, right? But they can know before they're born that they're trans. So are you going to try to not abort that kid just asking questions? It's really frustrating to watch. But you're right. And, and, and there was a time that people would make fun of conservatives and call them, you know, subscribers to the slippery slope fallacy when they would say, oh, you know, down the road comes this idea that kids are adults and can be treated like adults in every conceivable way. And I were like, 
Yes, that's exactly what they're going for. And they're doing this because they themselves can't have kids and likely never will. And they need to propagate this ideology. Like Jordan Peterson says, uh, people don't have ideas. Ideas have people. So if you can inject this idea into the mind of a child, it will just take root and go crazy. So are you feeling blackpilled about this or is there an upside here? I think that, uh, I'll be honest, my, my general outlook on a lot of what's happening in the world is, is pretty blackpilled, I guess you could say. And not in the, just in terms of what's happening in the world. I'm a, I'm a Christian. So I believe that, uh, you know, the world is going to get worse before it gets better. And by better, I mean, you know, end times, uh, the return of, you know, Jesus Christ right? and uh, the victory that the Bible talks about there. But I do think things are going to get worse. I think all of the things that we've been saying are going to happen will happen. And um, I, that's what I think is going to happen for sure. I, I just, I see it. It's, it's progressing very quickly as we've mentioned. And um, I just don't see it slowing down. I think all the positions of power, you know, the, the left is really the, the group that is uh, pushing this the most. They're the most involved in local politics. They're the most involved in school boards. They're the most involved in becoming professors and in right. universities. And with each generation in this country, uh, we've lost our 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 roots uh, in you know traditional values and uh, gender roles, just basic biology that men are men and women are women. Um, you know, so the further we get away from you know the founding of the country, you can see that uh, you know the next generation I think is is going to be is going to be wild. Uh, you know. Yeah. Whatever, whoever comes after Gen Z, whether we, we last that long, <laughs> I, to be honest. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned that because yesterday in our live stream, we titled it, we're pregnant for our first time. And I'm looking at the future and I'm like, what is going to, what is this going to look like? Like, I'm genuinely concerned for the future. First of all, I really, really cannot emphasize enough that we need to win in 2024, right? Conservatives need to win in 2024. We cannot be stuck in 2020. We need to focus on making actual positive conservative changes going into the future because we are at a tipping point and it's scary to look at and think about. And it's like, what is it going to look like? And, and, and I was talking to my husband about this and I was like, it almost matters it doesn't matter less, but it, 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 it's a factor to consider that our child will be around kids who think the way the left has told them to think and kids who believe the things that drag professors and drag teachers and all this LGBT movement in schools are telling them it's going to be a factor that's going to be their peer group. And we can try to isolate them a little bit. We fully plan to homeschool them or send them to Christian schools, Catholic schools, traditional schools, and try to make sure that they have less of that influence, which was exactly how I was raised. I was so grateful, but it's gotten even worse since then. And it's a scary place to be, right? So are you familiar with the concept of hard times, uh, making good men, good men making um, good times, whatever, good times making weak men, weak men making hard times. 
I think weak men have have made hard times, yes. and that's what we're <laughs> well, that's what we're seeing right now. And you know, it, when people hear that, it, it's not talking about what it doesn't mean. You know, you got to have muscles, otherwise you're a weak man, and you're going to create right. hard times. It's really about moral character. And in my opinion, as a, as a Christian, I think it's, it's, you know, each individual must have their, their relationship with God. You must be um, actively pursuing Christ, right? The United States was founded on this idea of, of, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the pursuit of happiness really only makes sense in a life dedicated to serving God. So right. you, what you see here is people pursue meaningless things terrible things yeah <laughs> and and it's led to this now that that's that's the freedom that you have in the united states to pursue whatever you want it's just it that's not going to last forever if everyone chooses to go astray we all like sheep have gone astray the bible says so um that's what I see. And by the way, congratulations on baby. <laughs> We're excited. Happy Mother's Day. Happy, Thanks, happy Mother's Thanks. Day. It just yeah. passed. <laughs> Crypto Mother's Day. It's very sneaky. Everyone's like, oh, yes. happy pre-Mother's Day. I'm like, no, I'm a mother. I'm just not. Yeah. You can't see him yet. He's invisible. I don't, we don't know if it's a boy, but yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So but it is, it's scary, right? Looking at this future is really kind of intimidating being like all right you know what they're going into we're going into hard times my kids are going to be strong people because there's nothing else for them to do right and that is that's been my constant silver lining i'm like look we're going into hard times but we also know that people need hard times to become strong okay we actually need friction and, and it's in the bible iron sharpening iron there's a reason that's in there and i'm i'm i don't know if i consider myself a christian at this point but i'm very familiar with the bible it's what i was raised with and i recognize how much truth the bible has extracted about human nature that still holds true over the course of millennia right so we talk about hope deferred making the heart sick we talk about you know finding a good wife making your life better and making you a stronger person talk about the virtuous woman who seems to me like very kind of intimidating to be able to do all the stuff she did but i'll cross that bridge when i get there but it, it's it's important to remember that and i think that everyone in the u.s have you noticed there's been a huge turning back toward faith of people our age and younger? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's there's a lot of people who have witnessed what's going on in the world and they realize, hey, wait a minute, this is not the place that I grew up. What, <laughs> right. what What's going on here? And whether it be their parents or it be through divine, um, you know, means, usually it is. Uh, you know, scripture says that, you know, the goodness of God brings a man to repentance and that uh, no one, Jesus said, no one comes to the father unless through me, but also, you know, no one, uh, uh, basically the father will call you to Christ. So, it, you know, and the Holy Spirit pers uh, pursues individuals throughout their entire life. And so I think people are looking around and they're seeing the chaos and the disorder and they're wondering, like, what, 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 hold on a minute. What's, what's going on? We're sending, right. you know, billions to Ukraine. We have a border issue. Um, you know, the schools are teaching um, strange Crazy. gender ideologies. They're putting pornog pornographic books in the libraries um, and just everything else under the sun that we could list off. 
the amount of corruption that's going on that has been going on for a very long time that seems to be surfacing. So I think a lot of people are returning to faith because there doesn't seem to be any hope. We have a lot of politicians that it seems like they want to run on certain issues for eternity. Mm-hmm. As long as they don't solve any problems, right. they can run on that again. So right. whether it be, you know, not codifying Roe v. Wade for the Dems, they want to run on abortion forever. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's the rhinos who want to have an immigration problem forever. Right. Um, it, it could be any number of those things, which is why we're not seeing anything get done. Uh, in my opinion, I think, yeah. uh, you know, behind closed doors, a lot of these people are all buddy, buddy, but you know, Definitely. maybe I'm speculating too much. <laughs> no, know? I think you're right. Well, I think that the day you realize that there is no incentive to actually fix any of these problems is the day your second awakening to why politics is so screwed up begins, right? Cause you start to notice you're like, Oh yeah, we're not fixing this because we're not, we're not actually trying to find a real solution to violence in inner cities because Democrats can use that to push against the Second Amendment. We're not doing things like forcing through Roe v. Wade fully because they have to have a dragon to fight. And you see this issue with feminism as well. And you even see it in charitable giving, which was so interesting to me because you can give and give and give and give and give charitably. But if the charity that you're contributing to is shady, if they're not using it in the right way, they're always going to need your money. And Americans are extremely generous. I love that about us. It's one of the biggest things that I love about America. Um, it has nothing to do with the government, obviously. I love Amer- the American people. They're generous. They're kind. They're, they're incredibly like thoughtful. Um, but they will just continue to give and give. And with charities, it's great because they're like, oh, well, we can just say, oh my gosh, this problem isn't being fixed. We don't know why we're doing everything we know how to, to try to make it better. And it's just not working. We're going to need 6 million more dollars by the end of the year, by the way, just so you know. Speaking of immigration though, that's something I really wanted to talk to you about because that's also something you've been focusing on. You've been all over the map, which is fantastic. You're down in California right now. And you said you were at the border recently. What did that look like? So I haven't been to Texas yet, but I have been to Yuma and basically I've done Arizona's uh, borders. I didn't go to Nogales, uh, but I did go to a smaller section called Insassabee. And uh, that's, you know, a few hours east of Yuma. So the difference there in what I saw was Yuma is going to be your primary hotspot. That's going to be where... You know, uh, the cartels are bringing loads and loads of people from all over the world. Um, Some of the interesting things that I want to point out there is they obviously don't do it during the day. They start at about uh, they start at night. So like nine o'clock is when you're going to start seeing uh, the hordes masses roll through Um, and they're coming over the Colorado River actually is is pretty small. on the Mexico side. And so they've built a wooden bridge to cross over. And then there's, you know, a little more land. And then you climb up the rocks. We watched them climb up a whole group. We could hear the uh, uh, coyote, the cartel member, you know, yelling at these people, calling them, you know, the B word and all kinds of other stuff to get them to hurry up. Right. And um, we went back the next day and we picked up all these IDs and passports and vaccine documentation. 
hotels in Cabo for, you know, six days, a thousand bucks, um, travel plans, just all sorts of information that these people are dumping. So when, when someone says that these, these migrants are being vetted, they're, they're not being vetted. Uh, there's no way there, right. there's no way to vet somebody who has no identification that it's a lie. And, um, you know, they, they get, a, they get in line. They're not even arrested. You know, the, the procedure should be that you come in and you're arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, it's basically just set up. They get in line and there's a bus, they get on the bus, they take them down to, uh, the, um, the department where they, they, the border patrol department of that sector, and then they send them on their way. So with title 42 ending, you know, uh, we're seeing people from central and South America come through and a few other countries, uh, like Ghana, Bangladesh, um, Cuba, there's a few other places, but, um, I mean, it's, it's wild to see the, the corrupt, collaboration between um, uh, non-governmental organizations that work in foreign countries who spread the word about the U.S. having open borders, providing detailed, um, you know, instructions on how to get to the U.S. border, who to talk to, who to call. Um, there's even Instagram groups where that you can, or Instagram chats or pages that you can send money to, and they'll send you a full list of detailed instructions as well. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of help getting these people here. Now, my question is, you know, are these people seeking asylum? Are they criminals? Are they just taking advantage? I'll say there was one guy who initially I thought he was from Czech Republic. I thought he was Czech. Uh, when actuality, he was from Georgia, right? Oh. So there's conflict in Georgia um, between Georgia and Russia, I believe. Um, Likely, yeah. <laughs> and so he seeks asylum in Czech Republic, but then comes to the U.S. And I looked up, is there conflict happening in Czech Republic? No, they're at a time of peace right now. They have a high standard of living. So is this somebody who's just taking advantage of the fact that he can come here and nothing's going to happen to him? Possibly. The other question is, if there is conflict, is it organic? Is it inorganic? Because looking at the global cooperation um, to cause mass migration into the U.S., you have to wonder, you know, if 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 it's organic or not. So creating the demand, all you need is a conflict. So, for example, in Myanmar, there's conflict. Mm-hmm. Um it's creating refugees and they're all going to Bangladesh. And then what happens to Bangladesh is it becomes destabilized because they can't handle the influx of people from Myanmar and they're not that Mm -hmm. far away. They're neighbors, but they have similar political issues going on left versus right. They're obviously a Muslim country, but a lot of slander goes on for the Bangladesh nationalist party where they're basically painted as super evil. Mm -hmm. And now we have refugees coming here from there. And they're the ones carrying refugees from Myanmar. So you see a lot of similarities going on elsewhere in the world that you have going on here. Now, that was Yuma, uh, hundreds of people coming through. Sasabi was a different situation um, because it's much more rural. Um, You're out in the middle of nowhere and there is basically just a wildlife preserve. There is no city you know, 
there. But mm -hmm. um, what I saw was uh, there's a lot of cartel activity that is, that goes basically Border Patrol turns a blind eye to it. And right. from my sources, what they tell me is that 40 percent of the Border Patrol in that sector is actually corrupt. And so cartel activity goes on a little bit further east from the point of entry. Now, there's a ton of holes in this actual border wall in Sasabi. And so what we saw was maybe nearly 200 migrants come from Chiapas, Mexico, which is basically the southernmost state right next to Guatemala. And uh, they were coming through and they evidently are escaping cartel um, conflict and violence going on down there. Hmm. So we saw maybe like three Guatemalans and uh, maybe some other other people from Mexico come through there. But that's what I've seen. So there was about five Border Patrol agents there, you know, in the middle of the night and they were just getting overrun. They even had BORTAC agents doing processing because, you know, they had that influx of 200. So uh, it's it's very interesting to see how this stuff is playing out. Wow. So that is there's a lot to take in there. You were talking about the NGOs and that's really interesting to me because I've always been very suspicious of NGOs. I was like, well, I was in a similar way suspicious of Bill Gates cuz I was like he seems so nice. What's his deal, right? NGOs seem so fantastic. What are they really doing? Like I'm I'm always very cynical about this stuff because it's never just you know, fully um, um, generous to people. It's never just kindness and light and giving them things they need to make their lives better. And it sounds like that's exactly the case there where there's, they're helping people figure out how to get in. So we have corruption from them. We have corruption from the cartel. Obviously the cartel is corruption. And, and to a degree, the, the cartel is the Mexican government because they're everywhere. There's no escaping them. They have one, gun store in Mexico, heavily guarded by government officials, and there are guns everywhere, but they're, of course, all in the possession of the cartel. And it's, it's. I mean, they come from the U.S., if you remember Fast and Furious, I believe, under Obama, the gun running on the Mexican border. But I digress, it's a separate issue. But then you also have, like, overseas interference. You have people coming from all different places. I remember um, when Lauren Southern was doing her documentary about immigration into Europe, she was talking about how they were encouraged to get rid of their ID when they landed. Like they were encouraged to burn them because they're like, well, they have no idea who you are. There's no way they can track it. And so you need to get rid of the ID that says you come from an actually peaceful country and you have no really compelling reason to be a refugee. Now, one of the things they used to say is you you have to go to the closest peaceful country and you have to seek asylum there if you actually are a refugee, if you actually need this kind of assistance. But that's not the case anymore. And how do you feel about the Biden administration while all of this stuff is going on? Do you think there is a uh, an actual evil idea here or is it just incompetence on their part? So this would be the passports and IDs from just all over the place. This is, there was a lot of, a lot from Peru, but like you were saying, they, they do rip out any documentation. This is 
um, Ghana. And so you'll see that uh, along here, they rip out the pages where there should be information and then they just toss the passport. And it's like that in every single passport that uh, I found. So, you know, they're definitely being instructed there. In fact, there is a, uh, there's, a, you know, an organization and I hate to bring up, you know, a boogeyman like George Soros. Oh yeah. But, uh, <laughs> How dare you? He does fund open society foundation. Yes. And it's exactly what it sounds like open society, open borders. That's exactly what it sounds like. But going back to the, the Biden administration, uh, I don't think that, I think Biden is uh, he's got less of a A&O status, right? He's probably like A&O times two. Maybe um, <laughs> on a regular like on a regular day, which Tell surprises people what me. A&O means because I'm familiar. Right. <laughs> so uh, I was an EMT for seven years, worked in hospitals, did all kinds of EMT work. A&O status is basically alert and oriented. And then there's a certain list of criteria right. that a patient needs to meet cognitively to, you know, fall into a category of A&O times one to four. And, um, you know, that would be like person, place, event leading up to um, kind of time, date, right. so those sorts of things. And, you know, the further down on the scale you are, the less, you know, aware, aware and, right. and cognitive cognitive function is decreased. Anyways, Definitely, Biden, I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think that Biden really knows what's going on. Most of the time, I don't believe that Biden is actually making any decisions. Right. Um, I think that it is the vultures that surround him uh, that are making decisions and choosing to ignore certain things. So when it comes to the border, I think it's exactly what they want to happen um, because it's, it's, you know, and you wonder, okay, well, you know, who's following whose directives then? Is this the U.S. government trying to destroy itself? Um, you know, if that were the case, why would they do that? Wouldn't they, if, you know, they really took control of the strongest country in the world, why would they want to squander, squander the spoils, right? They, right. There's, there's, they're transforming the country into something else. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll see what that is. But I think they're doing a, a terrible job, but they're doing the job they set out to do. That's right. 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 I think that's fair analysis. And it is interesting. So watching like the Open Society Foundation is so interesting because it's pretty clear that they don't actually want money per se. They want to do something bigger. And I think that's kind of what my questioning on the lines of conspiracies always comes down down to with my guests. I'm like, okay, are you conspir conspiratorial about this? Most people are to some degree, but most people aren't like, okay, well, you can just look at like the Open Society Foundation and look for that. But I think you're onto something there. And in fact, Elon Musk was tweeting about George Soros just the other day. I don't remember exactly what he was getting into it with George Soros about. I did see that George Soros dumped all his Tesla stock, which was really interesting to me as well, because that is a sustainable way, supposedly, according to the left, right? It's a sustainable way to kind of be better for the planet and drive an electric vehicle, but he's dumping it. Like, that's not what he, where he wants to be anymore. And I think it's just to make a point which is very interesting. There were rumors that he had died. So he's been very much in the news lately. And it's just like, 
I wish that people would recognize the damage that he's doing. I wish people would recognize that his son is having a huge effect here as well. And that's something that we should not be overlooking. Um, and I recognize too, that it's dangerous to pin it onto one person. I hate when people look at the, the person who is pushing an idea instead of the idea itself. Um, but George Soros seems to be a man and an idea in one, which is a very interesting position, right? Yeah. And I agree with you. We shouldn't be pinning, you know, all the evil that could ever be done onto one person, unless, you know, it's Satan. But I think you look at the agendas and you see the, the, the wind blowing and, and the trees moving. And I mean, it's coming from somewhere. It, right. It, you know, these things are happening and a lot of times he's funding these things. So, you know, right. whether or not he's, you know, throwing out edicts, which, you know, I don't know. Right. But uh, his money is facilitating a lot of the work that's being done. And when it comes to Europe, for example, look at France, look at Britain, look right. at Germany, look at Sweden, look at some of these other countries that look nothing like they did even just a hundred years ago. So what I'm talking about, like there's a group called, uh, welcome to Europe. And they're a group that created an full blown migration instruction manual handbook for people in the Middle East to go into Europe. Wow. Had every single resource that they need. And I've seen pictures of it. Um, it's actually pretty shocking. And you, you reverse just a little bit, you rewind just a little bit and you realize, oh, well, there was a conflict there in the Middle East and it caused tons of people to leave. Right. Now, why all of a sudden did just all, all these countries in Europe allow that? Oh, who knows? Maybe there was politicians in place who allowed it. So everything has multiple people responsible for it. And like I said, is conflict organic or inorganic? If it's organic, they're not going to let it go to waste. Right. 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 And and so. they can also be orchestrating some of it as well. But that for me is a little bit too conspiratorial. I don't really know. Who knows if there's like this bigger idea about like starting wars or causing conflict. I mean, you can certainly look at bad actors in different places. And I think it's fair to say that the U.S. has been a bad actor in some of those instances. But that's foreign policy stuff that I feel like we're, I'm probably not fully equipped to get into. But I'm totally just speculating. Right. I don't know anything for sure. The only things that I've seen are these IDs, the borders. And, Very concrete. You know, those are the things that I've seen. Right. And, uh, you know, everything yeah. else is speculation. So Right. That's, it's, it's kind of hard to be in that position where it feels like things have been concealed. Right. It's difficult to be like kind of trying to peek behind the mask and say, oh, what's going on here? Like peek behind the curtain and say, who's really orchestrating all this? Who knows? Right. We got people who think it's probably like the big banks and all this other stuff. But it's like we don't know. At the end of the day, we can pretend it's one particular group or another. But that to me seems way too simple. I, I hate that. The idea of being able to say it's them. I know it's them 100 percent all the time simplistic, way simplistic. And it's, it's nothing in life is ever that easy, right? You are an EMT. You know that nothing is as simple as, oh, this caused this. Well, along the way, there's a reason we have a hard time diagnosing health stuff, right? 
who knows where this actually came from? There's no way to track back why someone has sepsis 100% of the time. Sometimes you can link it directly to, for example, a high risk lifestyle, which is what they call, you know, being, living on the street and doing all kinds of hard drugs and all that other stuff. But, um, right. Sometimes it's not that simple. Sometimes it's something that you never would have considered. It's a condition that you never could have seen. It's the same way with the rest of life. And anytime someone says, oh, it's this person, it's this thing, probably not. Probably not. That might be a factor, but it's very, very hard to pin down all of the moving parts. But I'm so glad that you're on the border and actually looking at this stuff in real time. I think that's so important. Did you have a chance to talk to anybody who was migrating over here? Or did you just kind of see the after effects? Yeah. So we, you know, we would ask people where they were from. Unfortunately, I don't speak Spanish, but there was, there was some migrants from China. There was, you know, maybe five that we spoke to Wow. and they spoke fairly decent English. Um, but we asked them, you know, why'd you migrate here? Why'd you come here? And, you know, we asked them was, do you not like Xi Jinping? Right. And, they actually were afraid to answer. They they said, "Oh, we don't understand the question. We don't know. We don't know what you mean." Or you so can't badmouth him. No, even mm. even all the way here in America, right. you can't wow. do it if you're escaping. So that was one interesting thing. But yeah, they they uh, were escaping communist China. So that was one of the things that uh, we learned is that uh, those are the types of people who probably really should be applying right. for asylum here in the right. U.S. Well, it's kind of the same with migrants who go to Cuba or who go to Florida from Cuba um, on rafts of trash. And you're like, okay, well, I feel like if you are that committed to coming to the U.S. and if you have such a solid reason for wanting to leave your home country, we are like the next country over that has some semblance of peace. I understand that. That's different than somebody who's economically migrating from somewhere that's extremely peaceful and who has pretty much everything they need to live a normal, semi-normal life. And they're choosing to go the easy way to the U.S. I understand. I've always been a fan of immigration reform because I know that the immigration process is very, very tricky. I worked, so for my first job as a nurse aide, I worked with an entire shift of Filipino migrants. And they were yeah. talking about like the whole process of going through, like everything was so complicated. You had to go to the Capitol to do this, this, and this, but they were in nursing. They were working, you know, 60 hour work weeks. They had a serious sense of this is the American dream. It's within my grasp. I'm going to do everything in my power to pursue it in the correct way, which was really interesting to me because we can also look at the data and it shows that. Migrants from Nigeria and Kenya are also extremely hardworking and well-earning citizens once they get to the U.S., right? And it, it's so interesting because, first of all, it dispels the alt-right's concept of melanin being in any way affiliated with IQ levels. or It's entirely cultural, which I know is dicey territory to go into. But I look at these statistics and I look at the people that I worked with. One of my later jobs, I had I worked with like majority Kenyan and Nigerian migrants. And I was just like, you guys are the hardest working. You have the strongest faith of, you know, way stronger than Americans, like native natural Americans. Um, you know, I, I would call them native Americans, but that's not even the right way to, way to use it. Natural born Americans, people who are, you know, several generations into the U S but I'm like, you're incredibly hardworking. You deserve to be in the U S pursuing the American dream. Right. And, and that's why it was crushing to watch like during the 2020 riot, some of these people's businesses be destroyed 
during some of that racial protesting, I'm like, do these these people who are protesting in this way don't seem to recognize who they're hurting along the way? Like, it doesn't seem to bother them at all. But that's a little bit of an aside. I do think that there are certainly people who deserve the opportunity to come to the U.S., right, and try to pursue the American dream. But to me, it looks like everybody flooding over the southern border right now, I understand they're taking advantage of a terrible situation in U.S. policy, but they're not going about it in the right way. And they're going to be trafficked, right? Like you saw. Yeah. A lot of things, by the way, are happening. Um, obviously, uh, women, children are being raped. There's condoms, used condoms out there. There's bras and underwear and mm -hmm. just, you know, that is happening. That That is definitely happening. Of course. Um, right. It's how could it not, right? There's right. been news reports of, you know, young girls or women with, you know, Terribly tens, abused. I know. Tens of strands of DNA present in their body. Um, so a lot of bad things are happening. And it, this is, this is because I thought about that when I was down there, it really, um, it really like changed my perception because I hadn't been down to the border, just like a lot of other people. I've only seen the videos and then I'm going down there and I'm seeing these young children. I mean, it's cold out. It's pitch black. There's no lights. Uh, and they're making it, they're making it all the way out here. It, and I just thought, you know, to, to leave your home where you probably love, where, you know, everyone and you know, mm -hmm. everything, and you know how things work to leave your home, it must be pretty bad. Yeah. You must be desperate. And then for them to also shell out, you know, 8,000, 9,000, 16,000 sometimes per person, they're shelling out a ton of money and it just got me thinking like, you know, somebody who's lazy and just wants free stuff isn't going to have that money. Now, sometimes mm -hmm. that is the case. And what happens is these people become indebted to the cartel. Right. And what happens is then the cartel has another tendril in the United States to right. work for them. So, you know, they have fronts for lawn mowing businesses, restaurants, and then that's where these people end up working, but they're indebted to the cartel. Right. So it does, there's, it's a multifaceted issue. Now, what, what do I think? Do I think that uh, every single case is the U.S.'s responsibility? I actually don't. I right. actually think that if there were a way to fix the issues in their home countries, that's what needs to be done. Right. Because in my opinion, Every country, every culture is so beautiful, right? That's why people travel. That's why Americans love to travel. They love right. going to other countries. We love seeing the differences between so many different cultures, even though they may be right next to each other, right. different languages, different cuisine, all of these things. And, you know, I think that there's something beautiful about that. But the solution is to fix the problems that are in their countries. I'm no expert on solutions, but I know that's just what makes sense to me. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. That's kind of what I was thinking too. I was like, well, how could we actually fix this problem? And I was like, well, you'd have to make our southern border ironclad so that people would be forced to stay where they are and try to solve the problems in their own country, right? That's really the only way this works. Because when you give people an easy out, an easier, it's not going to be easy, right? I understand it's very hard to get into the U.S., 
and not just because our board, well, and not because of our border, right? It's very, very hard to get into the U.S. because the cartel and all these criminal enterprises make it extremely dangerous. They will traffic whoever and whatever they want across the border. And that's incredibly, that's a scary place to be. Being indebted to the cartel is not the way you want to live your life. Nobody wants to live that way. But I think that if we if we were actually to take a strong humanitarian stance, we would close the border completely. I mean, completely, like literally activate the U.S. military and have a way to stop immigration across the southern border. Um, and that would force people to look around them at the country that they live in and say, what can I do if I live in a remotely democratic country? What can I do to try to make this better? I'm going to take all the steps that I'm constantly encouraging Americans to take, like get involved in your local community, encourage people to vote in a certain way, or failing that, if you're not able to do that, to go to the next closest country, that's probably going to be similar, can have some similar problems, but you might have a little bit more of an ability to make a positive social change. But I don't think that having an open Southern border is in any way humanitarian. We haven't even talked about drugs yet. We've just talked about. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's wild. (laughs) I know. And, and, uh, through, through, uh, you know, Yuma, Sasabe, Nogales there in Arizona, we haven't even talked about New Mexico. That's on my list because New Mexico has a couple hot spots. Also it's a border state. And it gets no attention compared to, you know, Yuma and mm-hmm. Texas. But, you know, I think it's, there's just, a, I think it's easier to go through Texas. I think there's just a lot more, I think it's just easier to go through there. But um, there is hot spots in New Mexico. Now, in, uh, in Sasabe, there is a, along the, along the, um, the border wall, right? There's just a single road, just like every other border wall, pretty much is a single road that basically follows that wall. Uh, around a mountain and uh, around that other side of the mountain, border patrol never goes there. They're never over there. Hmm. And who is over there are the cartels. The cartels actually, and I've seen it with my own eyes. There was a hill on the Mexico side that you could see a camp, right? You can see all the plastic shiny trash sitting up there, but they actually shot at one of my sources drones uh, the, these guys have, you know, a $35,000 drone with, you know, thermal imaging and it goes, you know, 10 miles away at 50 miles per hour. Wow. And they were filming these cartel members sitting up on the Mexico side on a hill at their little encampment. And they pull out an AK and just start shooting at it. And Ow. it becomes pretty dangerous because you have a lot of cartel controlled media want, wanting to know, you know, who shot that video, where that video come from, et cetera, et cetera. And these people, you know, they're trafficking fentanyl, they're trafficking methamphetamine and everything else through our Southern border. And actually Arizona is pretty bad. Um, the new secretary of state in Arizona who took over for Katie Hobbs is actually a former cartel lawyer. Oh, so great. That, is uh yeah that's fantastic right and uh tucson is full of these ngos um i ran into one of them in uh sasabe and they just happened to be there right away as soon as there was a group a a family of about eight sitting there i go how did you guys know that they were going to be here oh we're just out here you know right okay and 
But well, apparently they give actually they they give supplies to cartel members who are camped out in the mountains. They actually do that stuff too because they're helping people. Mm. And uh, yeah, Tucson's becoming a den for the cartel to launder money through the city. Um, so there's a lot of corruption going on there. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all, unfortunately. What do you think a proactive humanitarian border approach would look like since you've been down there? Well, I think uh, you got to have the right people in the right places. Um, and unfortunately, that's hard to do because everything is hierarchical. Everything has mm -hmm. a hierarchical structure. And if you know one person at the top is compromised or two people or three people, and you have a bunch of compromised people on the ground, uh, it's going to be really hard to make any change uh, mm -hmm. to prevent anyone from coming through. Now, what they are doing down there in Sassabee, at least, is uh, they're they're actually closing up the border wall. So they have a construction company down there, and they're going to try and close up some of those holes. Wow! And that's a good start because people do just walk through. Hmm. But um, you know, if the drugs aren't coming through, you know, these remote parts of the border, they're going to come through in the ports of entry. Um, because again, border patrol has corrupt people who are going to turn a blind eye to certain cars. And so, you know, starting, starting a starting position, like you said, would be to close up the border, start there, and then you got to start figuring out who's who and, you know, weeding out the bad guys and bringing in people who actually are trustworthy, who aren't going to you know, start transporting migrants or drugs for a thousand dollars a head or, right. you know, it, it, there's a lot going on. Yeah. There's so many different angles you could go from and all of them are going to need to be addressed and it's never going to happen under a democratic administration. I think you can say that with full certainty because they don't want, this is another one of those problems they don't want to fix. And I will say that that's, probably 85% coming from the Democratic side. All of the reasons that Democrat, uh, Republicans used to want to bring migrants into the country have kind of disseminated. You know, they're not quite as um, driven to bring in low cost workers and all this other stuff that has kind of, I think, kind of dissipated. Not, not for sure, but it seems to be less of a motivating factor. Now, Democrats need the votes, right? They need voters. And I'll never forget where I was when I figured that out. I was finishing walking the dog one lovely day. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is why they're letting this happen. This is why this is allowed to take place, right? They need the votes. And they know that if they allow someone in, they can hold that over their head and say, these were our policies that let you even be here in the first place. They have very, a very strong Stockholm syndrome going on there. We'll give you stuff. We'll make sure you're safe, at least for now, to some degree from the cartels. Although I don't even think they can promise that. I don't think anyone can promise safety from the cartel. But they have this option to just kind of flex their muscles and say, vote for us or else. And it will be so, which is an incredibly powerful political tool that I don't think we can kind of push back on. We have to actually solve the problems and help the poor people who are under the, under the control of the cartel and under the influence of Democrats. So, so what do you think, think about, sorry, go on. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, and I think about it, I go, you know, we're having so many people come in here, there has to be some remote part of the southwest of the United States, where, you know, maybe we can make a camp, maybe, maybe, maybe we can make a camp, and we can keep everyone sort of in a sandbox. Uh, if you know anything about computers, sandboxes mm, are just yeah. safe places where you can do certain things and the rest of the operating system is protected from whatever you're doing in that sandbox. Right. Um, and, you know, we could take it a step further and try to figure out how to solve the problems in their country. But unless they do it and they figure out how to do it uh, as a people, um, nothing is going to change. So, I, you know, it just brings me back to close the wall. And mm -hmm. just put a moratorium on any kind of any kind of immigration for a while. Right. I do think that's fair. And I think that's fully justified at this point because it's just been three years of a disaster. Holy cow. Holy cow. And the way this administration is just categorically refusing to accept responsibility for it. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> really just horrifying to watch and, and concerning for the future for sure. So we're getting ready to close up a little bit here. You are a Christian and I know that there has to be a way that you can leave the audience with a white pill or some kind of silver lining to all this stuff, because we know there's bad stuff going on. There has to be a bright side, right? What do you think the brightest side is right now? Well, I think the, the brightest side is that there is a living God uh, who is the creator of the entire universe, who is from everlasting to everlasting. He says in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, that he is the first and the last. There is no savior aside from me. He's the alpha, the omega. That's what Jesus says. God in the flesh says he's the alpha mm -hmm. and the omega, first and the last. It mirrors what he said in the Old Testament. And the good news is that God gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the good news. That's where Americans need to start. Right. I think a lot of people have been burnt by religion. I get that. They've been burnt by Christians. They've been burnt by self-righteous people. They've been burnt by legalism. And it's put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. But I think truly, I truly believe that uh, as life continues and you are just be open, just be open to the influence of God. If never, ever in your life, just allow this, allow God to let his image of himself become more clear to you. And when you realize positionally who you are to him, you'll realize why you need a savior and why he knows what's best. And that is my white pill. My white pill is that God already has the victory and as his people, right, we're concerned about the kingdom of God and we're concerned about winning souls. That is my primary mission. Politics is, and, and all of this stuff is all secondary right. for me in my life. That's what works for me, you know, but that that is what I recommend because you can get blackpilled and people do. Yeah. They get blackpilled with this yeah. and they try to remedy it with, um, you know, well, maybe this election or maybe that school board meeting or whatever it is. But ultimately, I put my faith in Christ, and I think a lot of people should. I think we should be returning to, to Christ. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That is the ultimate white pill. My dad was probably my biggest Christian influence, and he always said that it was – he viewed it as – so he suffered with, to some degree with depression. And he always said that it was actually a sin to choose to remain discouraged. 
which was mm. such an interesting take. I don't think that's anywhere in the Bible per se, but I think he's yeah. onto something there, right? I think that yeah. if you if you believe in God, right? If you are a follower of these faiths, then you need to recognize that it's so much bigger than politics. It's so much bigger than human dealings. It it should give you such a sense of peace and calm, even when you look at how crazy the world is. Um, even when everything seems to be going against you and everything you believe. Well, you can look back on your predecessors, right? Uh, the people who are persecuted, like relentlessly persecuted to the point of death, the people who chose to stand by their beliefs and who believed what they believed so firmly that they were willing to risk literally everything for it. And you just have to stop and think there has to be something there that is a big enough deal. That's big enough than we ourselves that you have to just give it a little bit of credence and think, hmm, I wonder what's going on here that is so all-consuming that people were willing willing to risk their lives for it. That's crazy, right? That's not something that we even see anymore. Like we have no understanding of that kind of persecution. Now, we'll see what the future holds as far as persecution goes, as we are, I believe, going into some very difficult times ahead. But at the end of the day, there is nothing. So one of my favorite thought leaders is Viktor Frankl, and he survived a Nazi prison camp. Mm. Another one of my favorite thought leaders is Solzhenitsyn. He survived a Soviet uh, prison camp and Corey Ten Boom, who survived Nazi prison camp. And all of these people recognized that it doesn't matter what happens around you. And this is, I love stoicism, right? This is something that they push as well. The idea that you control your thoughts and your response to the world. If you are in a position where you control your thoughts and your response and you can hold something higher than yourself, like, for example, your Christian faith, you're going to be fine. It doesn't matter what happens in the physical world. You're going to be fine because you know what you believe. You know who you are. You firmly believe that God has your best interest in mind. That's incredibly freeing, right? That's incredibly calming. And it lets you look at the world around you and say, it's going to be okay, right? God's got this in the end not going to lose my mind over this stuff. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help the people around me. And it's not even really a good witness to be like, oh, I'm freaking out about this. No, you are supposed to believe that God has complete control of all this stuff. And that's where you should be. That's where you should end up, right? You should be able to take a deep breath and say, it's okay. I know it's hard. And that, that, yeah. And that, that reminds me, that reminds me, there is a, uh, right. The, the same, uh, right. The book of John, right. It was just written to prove that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. The same guy wrote, uh, you know, a few other books, first, second, and third John. And I believe in uh, first John chapter five, maybe verse 17, something like that. Uh, it says these things were written. Right. This this Bible was written so that you may know for certain that you have eternal life. And that always gives me comfort because I know, hey, it's a certainty. It's not right. a question of whether or not I do enough good deeds or anything like that. That's what I that's what I go off of. And I love that. Right. Right. Well, I I'm a little vindictive because I look at some of the stuff going on in the world today and I was like and I and I constantly find myself thinking this is why religious people believe in hell. Right. Because we know that the people who are doing some of these truly terrible things in this plane are never going to see justice. Not here, not now. And I think that's part of the reason there is that very 
kind of vengeful side, but it's not us meeting out this punishment, right? And it, it shouldn't be us choosing who gets punished because we're fallen, according to Christianity, and I firmly agree with that. I believe that everyone is intri- intrinsically um, probably evil overall, although you can try yeah. to channel your better features and channel be, being made in the image of God. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't be the people deciding who spends eternity being punished because we are we have shortcomings, right? It should be someone who doesn't have any shortcomings making that decision. So, but then you can also look at the world and be like, you know what? We are looking at a very small, we're looking through a glass darkly. First of all, we're not seeing how this is going to work out in the end, but we're seeing a very, very small fraction of what's happening. Um, And it's easy to be discouraged, but like my dad said, I do think it's a not good and it doesn't reflect well on your faith to choose to stay discouraged. So, we will not be doing that. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kaylin. It's been really fun to talk to you. I know it's a little bit early over there. It's noon here, but it's nine there. So thank you so much for making the time. Um, is there anything you want to leave people with? Where can people find you? Well, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm most active on those platforms. My handle is at from Kaylin, F-R-O-M-K-A-L-E-N. Um, yeah, those, those, that's where I'm most active when I'm out reporting and I'm tweeting out what I'm doing. It's going to be on Twitter. That's where you're going to find it. If you want to look at some of my old ride coverage from 2020, uh, that handle is also in my Instagram bio. Um, but other than that, uh, I've got, uh, I've got nothing. Cool beans. Great to chat. Really, really great. It just occurs to me that we didn't at all discuss Daniel Penny, which was kind of why I wanted to bring you on now. We can. We We, can if you want to, if you want to, but you know, if you got to go, then you got to go. No, let's take a few minutes. Let's take a few minutes. If you have a quick synopsis of what's going on there, what do you think about what's happening there? Right now, Daniel has over $2 million they've raised for his legal defense. That's not going to guarantee justice, but it is encouraging to see that people are on his side. What do you think? I think it's an interesting situation because you had someone who was obviously, you know, you know, Jordan Neely, he was homeless. He had a lot of problems, right? Right. You shouldn't be killed because you have problems. You shouldn't be killed uh, for threatening someone, uh, depending on what the threat is. But um, I think, I think the intent Initially, people wanted to say, nope, he just murdered him because he's a racist. And that that was the narrative. Right. Too easy. But you you can't you can't determine intent. I mean, I mean you, you like that I, murder was not not right. Murder was right. the wrong charge. He's been charged with manslaughter, which I thought was correct. Right. And it's I don't know how this guy died. I, I looked at the autopsy and it was, you know, uh, asphyxiation from strangulation. Right. And he made a mistake. He held on too long and he did the wrong thing in terms of not letting go early enough. And the guy, someone ended up dying. So uh, the issue is a lot of this is happening in New York. New York is becoming increasingly chaotic. The homeless Mm -hmm. problem is a serious, a serious problem and people were being threatened. Someone took it upon themselves to neutralize what they believe to be a threat. And it ended up costing someone their life. Now, Mm -hmm. if the policies in place would have kept Jordan Neely in prison instead of out on the streets, he'd still be alive today. Right. And that's one of the things that people don't seem to want to address. They want to make it about, oh, well, 
you know, his fund only has, you know, 200,000 and this racist has, you know, 2 million. Look at, that's the state of our country. This is the country we live in. Look at that. And it doesn't have anything to do with that. The people who are saying that are the ones who believe everything they hear on the view. And they're not looking at the fact of the issue, which was there was a chaotic man threatening people. Someone took it upon themselves to subdue him and he ended up dying by mistake. That that's what happened. It had nothing to do with race. I don't believe that. Um, what's his, the Marine? He didn't. Daniel Penny. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel Penny had any desire to like just go kill a black person. I, I think that's ridiculous. Right. right. Well, they're calling this a modern day lynching or a lynching. And that is so far from what happened. It's wild to me because lynching implies that someone went out of their way to seek out a victim of a certain class and of a certain race, ostensibly, at least that's how it was historically, we know that's not what happened here, right? Daniel Penny did not get onto the subway and say, I'm going to choke out the first homeless person I see, and they're probably going to be black, et cetera, et cetera. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. The way this is proposed, or the way this is being pitched by the mainstream media and a lot of these leftist pundits is so unbelievably simplistic. This is like what I was talking about earlier. It's never just one thing, right? It's never just caused by one thing. Never, ever. Jordan Neely was in a position where he should not have been on the street. He was given the option to go to rehab for his drug use some time ago. He stayed for, I think, 13 days, which is longer than I thought he would have made it. And then he just split because why should he stay? He's not required to do so. This is not involuntary commitment. They never committed him. I don't even know if they have that power in New York City. No one took steps and his family. Oh my goodness. The people behind that fund that only has something like $200,000 in it. That was his family who never did anything to try to keep him off the street from what I can see. Now, I understand it's hard to have a family member who is struggling with these particular demons. Very hard, right? That's that high-risk lifestyle that you don't just talk someone out of, okay? So there's serious addiction. There's mental health stuff going on. He had a really hard background. I'm sympathetic, right? But at the same time, it's not about race. It's about him being a threat to people on the train, literally saying he was ready to go to jail, implying that he would be enacting harm to those around him. And then Daniel Penny, who was trained in this stuff, which is why it kind of troubles me that he was able to go overboard so easily. But he's trained in this stuff. He actually taught other Marines how to do this kind of stuff. And he placed Jordan Neely in a submission hold. This wasn't a chokehold. This wasn't designed to put this pressure on his airway. Now, whether Daniel performed that wrong, that would be definitely a charge of manslaughter, which I don't believe is considered a felony. I believe that's a misdemeanor in New York, but I digress because I don't know all the fine points off that of that. But I think it's interesting in New York because we know how left-leaning the whole city is right now, right? It'll be interesting to see what they come up with because Everyone in New York City has got to be sick to their back teeth of this kind of stuff happening on the subway. And anyone who lives in this environment and deals with the crazy ranting homeless man every single day has to know what it's like to be in a situation where you feel like you can't move or else this person is going to turn their attention to you and threaten you and get up in your face. They had a case recently where three different guys were slashed by a homeless person on like a subway stage and yes. that doesn't right that doesn't get any attention because two of those guys i think were black and they were seriously harmed by this homeless person we can't talk about that 
because it doesn't promote the black on white narrative that we need it to be. It's so interesting. It's literally black and white and they're trying to push, oh, that's all this is. It's just white guy being mean to black guy. Clearly not what it was, but yeah, and, really. And part, part, of the, part of the issue too is, uh, you know, just the general culture of ignoring these people all the time. Right. Um, everyone kind of just ignores them. You know, if uh, people weren't ignored uh, and maybe dealt with in, I, by that, I don't mean kill them. Right. Obviously. Um, <laughs> like actually in, assisted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if, if the way that these leftists come together in the street, when they feel that there is an injustice, if they would come together and help some of these um, people who are out on the street causing problems, um, that would actually be helpful. You know, it's not right. helpful as marching around in the street, uh, you know, parroting lies. That That's not helpful. So, right. Absolutely not. Well, it's interesting too. I don't, I, I'm sure you saw this story too, where there was a homeless gentleman who went into a restaurant that had a pride flag and used the pride flag for his own nefarious purposes, right? It was very disgusting. His last name was Innocent, which was, you know, we're living in a simulation at this point, seriously. But the owner of that restaurant was like, this was clearly a hate crime. I want him per prosecuted to the full six end of the law. I'm like, dude, he is an unsheltered person that you guys were talking about two minutes ago in the context of Jordan Neely. Now that this person is bothering you, literally not threatening violence to you or your person or your establishment, but to the flag of the new American religion, you are on fire for actual justice for this person, dude. How do you not, do you not hear the words coming out of your mouth? Do you not know where you are? Cause this is still in New York city, right? This is just another homeless person threatening not human lives, which the left abundantly clearly does not care about, but the flag of the American religion that now flies over us embassies and other countries. Jeez. And they always, about yeah. Yeah. They, they, they try to make it about, you know, Jordan Neely wanting shelter and a warm bed to sleep right. in and food. And, and this is what they always do, whether it's immigrants or it's, you know, these criminals, uh, it's always, you know, boohoo, the victim, you don't understand. Look at what they were going through. This is why he did that. You need to understand. But as soon as the pride flag gets touched, oh no, full extent of the law. Right. Where, where, where's all the understanding? The guy really had to go to the bathroom. He yeah. really needed toilet paper, yeah. whatever, whatever the reason may be. You come up with the reasons. You're really good at doing that with other people when it fits right. the narrative. Right. But when it comes to this, where, where is all that? Yeah. So I totally if agree with what you say. That was such an interesting juxtaposition, right? We go from a, a homeless guy threatening, actively, literally, physically threatening people, getting up in their personal space, saying he was not afraid to go to jail. A man who had been arrested 40 plus times, who was familiar to these subway riders. A lot of people, I remember seeing tweets the next day being from people in New York City saying, I knew this guy. He was constantly around. He was scary. You know, he was unpredictable. He... The thing is, you mentioned that people shouldn't have just ignored him. The writers on the subway have no obligation to the people who are struggling, right? And and yeah. I think that's a distinction that really clearly needs to be made because the lawyer for Neely's family came out and said, you know, if someone is asking for food and water, you, you offer to listen. You try to help them. I'm like, no, 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 no. When a homeless person is in that state, the only thing you can and should do is keep your eyes down and not interact with them at all. 
That's the only safe thing to do because especially if you're in New York City, I remember watching a video of a homeless black guy yelling at a young family, just screaming full out at them. And 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 the the husband looked down and did nothing. His small son was there, his wife was there, and conservatives <laughs> bless them, got on Twitter and were like, look at this cowardly man, not even standing up to this person. I'm like, do you know what happens to the white man who stands up to the homeless black man? Because that's exactly what happened in the case of Daniel, Daniel Penny. Look at what they're doing to him. Seriously, there is no win in that situation. Daniel Penny was incredibly courageous. He didn't have his family there with him. He did go too far. He was under the impression that his submission hold was going to be able to lead to a submission, not a death. And he was, he was assisted by people of other races, which no one is talking about then either, right? Definitely something. And if they are, they go, oh yeah, complicit in white supremacy and lynching and, you know, they all hate black people too. They can come up with whatever they want, but yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely right on all of those points. I want to, you're damned damned if you do and damned if you don't. Exactly. Exactly. And for conservatives to be like, that's cowardly. No, 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 man. Tell me you don't live in a blue city with a subway without telling me because that's (laughs) not, it's not a fun situation, right? It's, it's hard. Like Andy and I have been on the subway when people were weird and crazy and it was never threatening, thankfully, but it was, it's very uncomfortable and you feel like you're in this fight or flight position on a subway, ain't no flying. Okay. So you're just going to keep your head down and not say anything or you're going to do what Daniel Penny did and you have to make the decision. I mean, what Daniel did was what a 24 year old male would do. What the other husband in the other video did was what a 30 plus year old man with a wife and child there would do, right? You have to make the right decision for your circumstance and you can either plow into it because you're a Marine and you're not really afraid of anything, or you can keep quiet and kind of stay out of the way and just let this go on. Really, really hard situation. Do you think he'll see justice? So I think that uh, we're going to have another situation where this gets dragged out. Um, it could be a televised, Mm. you think it'll be televised? What do you think? I, they might not allow TVs or like TV cameras. I think that'd be the safer thing to do. Yeah, probably. Um, but I think everyone is going to be waiting for this. I don't know how long it'll take for the verdict to come out, whether or not he's going to be found guilty of man, right? It's just the charge right now. Um, so if, if he's not found guilty of it, or maybe it is a lesser charge, you know, there's going to be riots in the street and, right. uh, you know, that'll, that'll likely be what happens. I think, uh, yeah. I, th- I do think he's going to get something. Um, yeah, probably. And I honestly so. think that's fair because he did go overboard and, yeah. and, and as someone who trained people in this, he should have known better. Sorry. I know he's only 24, might've been the heat of the moment type thing. I get it. It's hard, but you're a Marine. You're going to be in those situations. We need to know that we can depend on you, right? To make the right decision. So that's, it's just a tough situation. I know. And I feel bad that Jordan Neely died, but. I was wondering, you know, was he trying to get him to like pass out and then maybe he wasn't passing out. So he just kept hanging on and then I'm it not was sure. yeah. too late. I, I don't know. I'd like to, I'd like to hear from him what was going through his mind. I'm sure everyone would. Right. Well, it's possible that he was hoping he would pass out just for like 30 seconds or whatever. And then he could have the other guys kind of help restrain him. Probably would have been better to have the other guys like one take his feet and one take one shoulder and one take the other. Yeah. But then, you know, you have the risk of flying biohazard, which is part of the reason I'm sure you're familiar with the hoods that they give people sometimes. People who are just not 
um, cooperating, to put it mildly, who, people who are willing to use any tools at their disposal, whether their hands are restrained or not, you can still spit, right? And if you've been living on the street, if you've been doing hard drugs for a really long time, your spit is a bioweapon. <laughs> this is a serious issue, something that, that people who aren't exposed to this kind of thing probably don't know. It's, it's rough out there. It really is, especially when you're dealing with a homeless person. It is hard to know what you're dealing with. And I, I understand it. So maybe that's what he's going for. Maybe he's trying to keep him from spitting on people around and whatever, but we'll see what happens. Um, do you think that people who would be on the jury for Daniel Penny would also be similarly fed up with the New York subway? Cause I know they've been having a hard time getting people to ride the subway. Uh, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think there's a good possibility. There's a good chance that you're going to have some people who don't like riding the subway. They're right. fed up with what's going on down there. Like I know um, what this is like, right. There's a, there's a good possibility. There's a good possibility of, of, um, you know, that not being the case. We could yeah. see something like, uh, like we've seen in other cases where right. the pressure from the public causes a certain verdict to be reached. Yeah. That's going to be interesting to see. Um, I wonder how to circumvent that because that's something that we need to come to terms with. It's something that's going to be happening in this era of social media and all this leftist pressure from outside sources. I wonder if there's a way to kind of forestall Excuse me, I have hiccups. Pardon me. That's been one of my fun symptoms. Um, <laughs> we got to kind of forestall this, right? We need to keep the pressure off jury members. Just period. We actually do need juries to be impartial. Um, and that's not something that we've been good about. Certainly weren't in the case of, you know, Minnesota. But um, And it's tough when there's people threatening to dox you or your family. Right. And if you vote, you know. If you say Wrong the one thing, yeah, yeah, that's scary. And, and, and especially with technology, it's very easy to get into a courtroom and see the way people are thinking, but we'll have to see what happens. I just was so intrigued by the amount that Daniel had gathered. It's pretty clear to me that we are a very divided country. I am glad that they used give, send, go and not go fund me. Yeah. We know if we all know go what fund me. Yeah. That money would have been gone. Already. And, uh, yeah, surely. Yeah. 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 It will the, the the whole thing would have been shut down immediately. There, oh, there yeah. would have been or actually, no, you know what? They would have they would have let it go for a little for while. while. Yep. Let that money build up. Get that and then as soon hope. as it looks like it's slowing down, boom. And they take yeah. all the money. But yep. give Sun Go, we know they're good. Yeah. And they yeah. uh they'll give you your money when you want yes. it. Yes. Yes. Optimistic on that front, but like I said, that does not guarantee that actual justice will come through. Like we're just helping his legal defense. And hopefully he's able to get the best lawyers in the country because he's going so. to need them. He is. Yeah. So Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Kaylin, thank you so much for joining us. Let's try that end again. People yeah, can find yeah. you on Twitter. You have a bunch of really cool videos from all you've been up to lately at from Kaylin. K-A-L-E-N. Yes. Correct. Okay, cool. Yes. Yes. Cool, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again for real this time for joining yeah. us this evening yeah. afternoon. Yeah. It's been great. Great to catch up with you too. I'm loving being able to reconnect with people that I got to meet at Timcast. That was such a fun experience. Probably the funnest job I've ever had. So it's great to chat with you again. I will let Absolutely. you go. Absolutely. We'll see you next all time. All right, Lydia. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And for my audience, we'll see you all next time.
Bye, guys.